0: Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. My name's Jo. And I'm
1: Jerry. and welcome back to Series 4. Last podcast which was 2A we talked about social work in infancy and how we support very young children. For these B podcasts, which is the second podcast of each month, we are looking at big issues to consider them from a sort of social work point of view and ponder them this is about giving us a chance to look up and look out and consider the big questions um, not necessarily by solving them but just to give us a chance to reflect Uh, so last month we looked at identity and this month we're looking at poverty listen in tell us what you think give us your thoughts as well and you can do this on our website which is www.helpfulsocialwork.com or by commenting on itunes or on our facebook page helpful social work podcast
0: Okay, and we like to start with the definition. So the definition of poverty, the state of being poor, lack of the means of providing material needs or comfort. Um, and the second one is deficiency in amount, scantiness, the poverty of feeling that reduced her soul. Um, and the last one is unproductiveness, infertility, the poverty of the soil. So it has a sense of lacking or deficiency um, and that might add to the negativity of the word around. And it also comes from the Latin word pauper, which means poor. It's a really old word. And um, when I think about it, it reminds me of something that really strikes me in the different areas I've worked at, and that's around the poverty of hope. Because some places you can go to and you can feel from the atmosphere and the energy of the surroundings and the people that what, what's missing is a sense of hopefulness, a belief that things can and will get better. And I think that's a really difficult thing to combat, so I think the feeling that poverty engenders is is something worth thinking about, and all of that too, and it was sparked off by that second the deficiency and the deficiency in amount or scantiness, the feeling of poverty. yeah, so we thought we'd start
1: with some kind of formal definitions and how, what we, people mean by poverty when they talk about people being in poverty. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, there's absolute poverty, which is kind of lacking in the resources, basically, to survive or thrive, to keep body and soul together. And then there's relative poverty, which is what your income or resources are in relation to the average. And that's mm. really about participation and equality to some extent as well. Um, inclusion. You know, are you cut off from the most important things? And, Joseph, and I think that's
0: something children really notice, Jerry. Like, I think children really notice the difference in their lifestyle or access to other children around them. Um, so that relative poverty is something that's very real, you know, like not being able to go on school excursions, not being able to have the same type of shoes or um, clothing or, or things as other people, things that make children, make them stand out from from the rest of the crowd. That because they don't have the resources to do anything about it, I think is really tough.
1: So in that sense, I guess you could feel quite rich in some environments and poor in others.
0: Mm, I think that's right.
1: Josie Rantu Foundation have a really good definition, I think. I'm going to talk about them quite a lot because their work on poverty is just excellent. So in their 2014 report, they define poverty as when a person's resources, mainly material, are not sufficient to meet their minimum needs including social participation. So they regard relationships and connectivity and inclusion as a minimum need. Um, And they've also got different levels, which I think is quite useful. So uh, there's a minimum income standard and above that, you can afford a decent standard of living. Below that, you're getting by, but you're under pressure. So it's difficult to manage anything unexpected. Then you've got not enough income. Which is where you're falling short of a decent standard of living, and there's a high chance that you won't meet needs, but there's also destitution, which mm-hmm. is when you can't afford to eat, keep clean, stay warm, and dry and that's that's absolute poverty, really, um mm-hmm. but then there's all this big area of struggle um and then there's okay, you you can afford it, and with that it goes not having to worry so much, doesn't it? yeah.
0: And I think, the not, yeah, not enough income for me is that bit where you're constantly in debt. You know, there's never a time when you know that you can actually pay and meet all the necessities you have to. You're always having to say, this week we won't do this so we can do that. This is, you know, this is more urgent. And I think that living under that type of distress all the time and i'm when i'm talking about debt i'm talking about you know four fundamental things like transport or groceries or electricity or rent arrears those kind of things um very distressing way to live
1: yeah
0: it requires an awful lot of physical and emotional and
1: also spiritual kind of energy doesn't it Mm. to tackle that there's this big debate about what causes poverty and i think that goes back to a very old idea which is still around but it's very ancient of deserving and undeserving and one of the things i found really interesting when i was looking around for this podcast doing a bit of reading around the world bank did a report in 2000 called voices of the poor and it was research actually with people who live in poverty in 23 countries around 20,000 people and asked them what they thought were the reasons for poverty and the first thing that came up Abuse by those in power, then disempowering institutions, excluded locations, gender relationships, lack of security, limited capabilities, physical limitations, precarious livelihoods, problems in social relationships, weak community organisations and discrimination.
0: Yeah, I think this is a really helpful list, Jerry. It allows us to think about the contextual as well as the individual issues around poverty. You know, because for me, we often place the blame about being poor on the person, this idea if they try harder, they wouldn't be in the situation. And I get that that's protective because it stops us believing it could ever happen to us. You know, we get this feeling as long as we follow the rules of society and work hard, we'll be fine. Yet many people in poverty actually have done that for a lot of their life. Um, and an illustration of that is in Australia at the moment, one of the groups of who are facing poverty are actually women over 55 years old, um, divorced, widowed with little pension due to child raising and time in and out of work. They have really poor job prospects and not enough money to buy a home after settlement. So they're pushed into rented accommodation with too much to get any help, but not enough to actually manage to pay the rent. Um, You know, and there's lots of of homelessness and struggle in that area. So it is really important to understand the philosophy of poverty, isn't it? Why we
1: think in different places people are poor. And Mm. I was listening to a really interesting podcast called Econ Talks, which is kind of economics podcast about um, differences between the US and Europe. And generally, as a kind of rule of thumb around 80% of people in the US think that poverty is down to the individual success is down to the individual and 20% context and it's more or less the opposite in Europe or has been traditionally we think a lot more about context here which is to do with all kinds of historical and cultural differences but unless we understand what society thinks about poverty we can't then understand how to overcome it as a society.
0: And it's quite a natural thing when you think about it because we always attribute, you know, you know how we attribute success to ourselves but misfortune to others? So if, some, if something happens in our life and we're successful, we attribute that to ourselves, our hard work, our brightness, our whatever it is, and if there's a misfortune, we're more likely to attribute that outside ourselves. Um, and that's a really protective thing, but it's like we've taken that and we've made it global.
1: Yeah, and we really don't want to undermine agency either. It's the other thing that I think about. Um, But (laughs) policy practice um, should be based on evidence of what actually causes poverty because that will help us understand how to combat it. Um, So, again, JRF done work around what causes poverty in the UK and some of the things that they identify, which are things that we would be trying to address, are unemployment and low-paid jobs without prospects and security, um, which then leads to inadequate savings or pensions, as you've mentioned, not enough mm. skills or education. Um, and there is a growing skills gap, isn't it? The the more skilled people are getting paid more and more and lower skilled people are facing more and more precariousness. Mm. Um, ineffective benefit systems, um, if you can't enable people into work or support people adequately, if they can't work, then that goes into poverty. Uh, high costs, and particularly in, in the UK, that's a housing problem because we don't have enough houses. So the cost of houses are extremely high. Disability mm-hmm. adds cost. Um, there are poverty premium costs. So, for example, having to pay on a meter is more expensive than paying by direct debit. But for that, you Bank need accounts. cash flow.
0: Yeah. Bank accounts. Oh, it astounds me that the more money you have, the less fees you have to pay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah. And that's just a small thing, but everyone needs a bank account.
1: Yeah, same with phones, isn't it? Pay as you go is more expensive than contracts. You know, there's all kinds um we have a lot of discrimination in this country and that oh, everywhere. Um, but that can prevent people mm. from escaping poverty. Um mm. it can restrict opportunities, things like qualifications, um and then weak relationships because not being connected, not being included impacts on your sense of capability, your self esteem. Mm. And then there's the, the coping strategies for poverty, um, or, or disadvantage or exclusion, which can kind of add to the you know, increased barriers to getting things. So if you, if you, for example, use alcohol, or you um, use drugs, those kind of things, and, and then the, you know, this effects of poverty aren't there around mental health problems and um, anger and stress that also undermine your ability to, to move out of poverty.
0: Mm. And it, for me, you know, like um, there are all sorts of ways in which poverty can affect children adversely. And, and just to go back to Australia, you know, in 2015-16, Indigenous children aged 0 to 17 received child protection services at a rate around seven times more than non-Indigenous children. And they were 10 times as likely to be in out-of-home care Indigenous Australians aged 10 to 17 account for less than 6% of all Australians that age, Um, but 48% of young people under youth justice supervision were Indigenous, and more than half, 59%, of young people in youth detention were Indigenous. So, you know... So exclusion and poverty... Hugely overrepresented... Um, in those systems and what we know is that being in prison and having criminal records can really deepen poverty and make it harder to get a job and weaken relationships. So it's almost like you're kind of born into very difficult circumstances and it doesn't take much for for those circumstances to deepen um, and to become more difficult. Yeah, that is... A really
1: telling example, isn't it, of the effects of poverty? And again, going back to JRF's work, the effects um, that we see in, in in the UK, but they'll be replicated elsewhere, are health problems, housing problems, being a victim or perpetrator of crimes. So if you mentioned the kind of contact with the criminal justice system, drug or alcohol problems, lower educational achievement, homelessness, um, teenage parenthood, relationship and family problems, and then kind of ongoing lifelong effects around biological effects potentially but also poverty itself so if you're poor in childhood then that's linked to a increased risk of unemployment and low pay in adulthood and lower savings in later life so it's kind of cumulative across the life course as well yeah
0: and for every I mean and it and is it's really important isn't it to remember agency and because it's, it's easy just to kind of rattle off this litany of things and paint everybody into that corner. As if people say, are
1: doomed, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, well, you know, they're doomed because of all these things. But actually, every person has individual agency, and they do have the ways they respond to things, as we're going to see when we look at the um, at our podcast, you know, through the lifespan, we'll see the diversity of responses. Um, these are issues that we all have to attend to without kind of pinning them to individual people. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that's a really important reminder before I talk about the link between poverty and child abuse and neglect mm. um, So, so really recommend that social workers working with children and families anyone actually read the evidence overview in 2016 um, about poverty child abuse and neglect which was Paul Bywaters et al um, there's not enough evidence really it's quite limited in some mm. important respects but it is clear that there's an association between poverty and a child's chance of suffering child abuse or neglect um, but poverty is neither a necessary nor a sufficient factor in the occurrence of child abuse and neglect. So just as you're saying, you're not, it's not inevitable at all. No. Um, but it is something that we have to pay much more attention to, to the role of poverty because of the stresses, because mm-hmm. of the correlation, because of the, the links between um poverty and potential causes of poverty that might need attention and because of poverty and potential effects of poverty yes. that might need attention
0: yeah. it's that idea isn't it that if you are working with people where children are abused and neglected you think about has there been anything in their context i.e. poverty, that has contributed to their inability to be able to manage the stresses and therefore damage the relationship between them and their children to a point yeah. where there's abuse or neglect. So it's about, you know, kind of thinking thinking your way around the situations that children who experience abuse and neglect are finding themselves in um, rather yeah. than, yeah, making an automatic link um, you know in any of our work we're really trying to understand what's stressing and distressing people to a point where it's precluding them from being available to have healthy relationships, healthy work lives, healthy identities, and all of those things that actually um, make up a person's thriving um, and and poverty shouldn't be ignored and it certainly shouldn't be ignored um, over the last decade here in England um, where for many people, things have got harder and harder.
1: Yeah, and there's um, it's also worth those, those people who work with adults, but again, thinking about families as a whole, um, thinking about the impact of poverty on disability or the links. Um, mm. so, um, yes. more disabled people than non-disabled people proportionately live in poverty or are materially deprived, um, and that's aggravated as a stressor when there's. Um, changes to social security and welfare which there have mm-hmm. been in the UK for example um, so just as a, just as an example 18.4% of disabled people aged 16 to 64 are considered to be in food poverty in 2014 compared to 7.5% of non-disabled people so you know more That's than twice pretty... as many proportionally.
0: That's a pretty shocking statistic actually Jerry isn't it?
1: Yeah and it's again it's twice as likely that people over the age of 65 who are disabled Will be in food poverty than their non-disabled peers mm. um, we've, you know, and it's more expensive to be disabled it's more problematic yes. to get housing um, yeah. you're more reliant you're likely to be more reliant on benefits so mm. all of that goes on and then as I said about the cum- cumulative effect across the life course um, mm. and the legacy of being in poverty includes poorer health and older age problems yeah. with savings problems with housing problems with social capital as well um mm. and life expectancy. So Milner Owl identified that um a female born in Glasgow can expect to live nearly twelve years less than one born in Kensington and Chelsea. And the difference for men is fourteen years. Mm. So
0: Yeah. And that's that's something that's been going on for quite some time, really, that north south divide, because it's not just Glasgow and Scotland, it's also the north of England. And, you know, um, It wasn't that long ago, in fact, in the 50s and 60s, when um, men from the South were taller or children, you know, children, adolescents, men from the South were taller and weighed more than men from the North. Mm. And it was because of the impacts of nutrition. You know, um, there's no mistake. I mean, you know, Joseph Roundtree, he's a Yorkshireman. That's uh, that's Yorkshire work being done there, Jerry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the the reason for
1: talking about this isn't isn't to kind of make everyone feel despondent.
0: No. But no, we do.
1: If we care about improving people's lives, and this is such a big factor, of course yeah. it should be right up front and central in our practice as social workers.
0: Yeah, and and we have to keep thinking about it. And we and we think about the work of Joseph Roundtree. We can think about all of the work that's been done to keep improving the lives of children and family and just people of people. Um, But there's still a lot more to do. I mean, it's really similar in Australia with the Indigenous population there. For Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders' population, say just born between 2010 and 2012, life expectancy is estimated to be 10.6 years lower than non-Indigenous population. For males and nine point five years for females yeah quite a lot in the, in, in a, in a well to do country
1: and the thing that I have to think about here is that in order to remain hopeful is that whilst some people do okay, then there's scope for everyone to do okay and yes. this is not um this is not a problem of not enough to go around I don't think it's a problem of distribution, and we have in our social work ethics distributing resources social workers should ensure that resources at their disposal are distributed fairly according to need and i would take that further and say we should be trying to influence distribution more generally as well um so first thing is awareness that this really matters and there's obviously a big evidence-informed argument to be made here we can't ignore it in our practice because if we do then we just won't be that effective Mm. um And then there's what do we do? So income maximisation, I think, is the first thing. So when I was a social work student, my first placement was in a hospice, and we spent a lot of time getting income for people because being very, very ill is expensive. And there were social fund grants, there was benefits to be got, and that was seen as a core social work task.
0: And it's not so much now, is it?
1: I think it's really difficult to prioritize find the time for it and also it's it can be very difficult to get income for people because of the bureaucracy around it Um, but I do know social workers who work really hard um, to support people through appeals to get them essential benefits
0: Mm, Um, mm.
1: social workers I think do work um, closely with housing as well
0: yeah absolutely it's certainly um, you know my experience is particularly working with um, young people is a lot of the work that we were doing um was that was about 5 years ago was around looking at housing looking at their education benefits looking at their other resources you know trying to get even things like furniture and sometimes clothing and all sorts of things so really looking at those basic needs um and certainly back when i began in social work in australia in the late 80s part my my actual first job was um people would come in looking for um, short-term funding so uh, funds funds to keep them going until the next um, benefits check came through and we would assess them and then help them out with emergency provisions so yes I think it's something that social workers have been doing for a long time.
1: Absolutely and I think it's it's all of us pushing collectively for that to be seen as an important part of practice and Baswa is doing a um anti-poverty practice guide which will be coming out soon which will help show some of the things we can be doing another thing that I was thinking about when I was preparing for this was how we see people in poverty as well um because it's quite easy for us to stigmatize if we're not careful and there was an absolutely brilliant piece of work done by an organization called atd fourth world which was about it's called the roles we play and it was working with people living in poverty co-producing um work around who they were so people identifying their roles in the community and encouraging others to see them as um as having lots to offer yes rather than people who required um you know so the reciprocal thing so it's not just that they they need a support um and maybe they did but that they mm. had some things to offer as well so there's a yeah. lot about how we see people isn't there
0: and I think that's really important because we've just gone through all the lists, haven't we? We've said, you know, oh, people with disabilities are more likely to be in poverty and children who've experienced abuse and neglect or people have – and, and, and it, as you say, every time you brand people like that in a group, then you do risk the chance that of, of just seeing them as yeah as people who need your help in social work rather than seeing them as people who can – exchange and contribute not only to social work knowledge but also to their communities. So um it's like can you have an encounter with a person seeing all that they have to offer rather than just seeing their deficits. So it's not looking it's not looking at them through a deficit based lens, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And people wouldn't need saving from the impact of barriers if we removed the barriers.
0: Yes, which is what um, I believe the Roundtree Foundation is talking about as well, highlighting that need for a new story.
1: Yeah, and that's um, that's that's just a wonderful piece of work. Again, I, I'm going to keep going on about the Roundtree Foundation because they're so great. I think
0: you should. <laughs> but their work,
1: which was um, around how you talk, reframing poverty, how you talk about it in a way that actually encourages people to do something about it, um, and and coming overcoming this feeling of oh it's inevitable and we can't fix it Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um so saying that you need to make a moral case for tackling poverty show that it's not an individual problem um stop it being kind of partisan and show that it can be solved so it some of the things that they say are um think about it as something that um that we ought to do something about so Mm -hmm. it's not right that some people do okay some people don't um we should all have the opportunity to live good lives um it's not right that some people are locked in poverty everyone needs to be working to solve it um mm. and you know, we can design a way out of this you know, it's not inevitable um and and that it's it's not people's own fault people can get swept up in poverty or kind of um be overcome by it and it's yeah. a question of helping people get break free of it.
0: That's my it's redistribution, isn't it, Jerry, which is my my favorite word. Um and obviously I'm no economist at all, but it really does seem to me with the UN's intergovernmental science policy on diversity and ecosystem services, you know, the big report that's just come out, which is warning that as many as a million species are at risk of a stink extinction. Um And that we know that 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 kind of lack of diversity is going to lead to hardship in our lands and in our water and plant resources, and that that's going to really impact hard on people who are already experiencing poverty. So people living on the margins will find it harder and harder. It seems to me like there's a real imperative for us to be thinking about this, because it feels to me that the poverty we're talking about could be more comprehensive than just financial hardship. You know, if we keep going down the same track using the same models and our same approaches to interacting with the world, we could be facing a poverty of species and environment as, as well as of humans. And I know that that's kind of, you know, taking everything and saying, you know, they're going to mine the moon. But the point is that we are all interlinked on this earth. And finding a way that we can live fairly and generously with each other has got to be one of our burning ambitions. Yes, I that's
1: would... the it's the story, isn't it? That we're, it's not a a fight to the death, a competition, you zero sum game. That but that if if we if if people do better, if more people do better, everyone does better. Yes. And if and we if look after nature humans yeah. do better yeah, yeah their connectivity is absolutely right yeah um and the idea that actually there is a choice you know we can act differently and work differently
0: mm-hmm. well they've been trialing haven't they the universal wage um in its various forms has been trialed in at least 15 different countries and i was i was reading a bit about this including countries as diverse as kenya finland canada belgium india and italy Um, In some places, you know, this idea that a universal basic income would guarantee that every citizen, regardless of their independent wealth or current occupational status, would receive a base amount of money, either annually or monthly. Um, And there's this idea that that might reduce the benefit systems, which I don't particularly feel is a great motivator, but also that it would prepare for this idea that automation is going to take over more and more of the jobs because... At the moment, we link getting out of poverty with getting educated and finding work. That's, you know, that's our model, isn't it, that you get more education that allows you to find better paid work and that and that you work and get your way out of poverty. But, of course, for lots of people their experience has been, and this is particularly in African countries, that they have sought to get the education, they have worked hard, and actually the jobs aren't there. And so now there they are having kind of jumped through all the hoops and at the end of it there's there's still the the poverty trap. And so we've really got to think about why we are wanting automation to take over more and more of our jobs, why we're linking people's wellbeing to work. Is that the only thing to To link it to, are there other things to link it to? You know, um, if the purpose of automation is to make dirty and dangerous work safer and easier, then that's great. But if it's to produce more things faster to sell, perhaps that's another debate to have. And I, I just, I mean, I know that I'm kind of pulling us all over the place here. But for me, you can start thinking about an individual in poverty, but. At some stage, you've got to really think about that whole system in the way you talked about and why it is that we link people's well-being and and productivity together.
1: I think that's right because I think we've, we've talked about poverty as being about the material resources at your command but also about your inclusion mm. and the value of including more people and being more diverse. But that does beg the question of what kind of world do we want? What mm. we include, you know, what are we all trying to be included in. Um, mm. and so I think it is worth thinking about what the, what the material, um, resources are being used for, you know, and, mm. and also how, if we're thinking about redistribution, what do we value and reward? Um, mm. what occupations, what contributions, what people, um, and ideally everyone and thinking much more broadly than just can you command high productivity in your job and therefore get a high wage is there um is there more that you're offering um and there's there's lots and lots of people quietly contributing in all kinds of different ways um without which the world would be a much poorer place and sense of the richness of diversity um mm. and relationship mm.
0: And I think for me, that's kind of that idea too, because if you just look, I mean, and this is very crude and and perhaps not based enough on evidence, so it's just an observation, folks, but I see that the closer you are to money in terms of the work you do, the more valued that is, and the closer you are to humans, the least valued that is. And I'm talking about people who are carers, um people who are nurses people who are social workers people who are um, working in those types of roles um who are the more hands-on you are with humans the kind of least the less value is put on that which i think is really strange
1: yes i think learning to value all the different contributions people make um and not linking income and recognition and um and value to just to productivity would really help us, actually.
0: Um, or to status.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that would also undermine easy. some of that stigma, wouldn't it, around? Because we do still ask people, you know, what do you do? How much do you make? Yeah. As a yeah. as a marker.
0: Absolutely, you know, and we still mark ourselves by what we have. Success in life still kind of looks like what where you live. And what education you had and all of those kind of things and that that's a really different type of questioning isn't it to who you're connected to and how many people you have in your lives who matter to you and you matter to them and those kind of things which we don't value in the same way
1: so you've made me think now that I should change the reflective questions slightly so the first one what response does poverty evoke in me I think is, is still quite a valuable question But the second one, I was going to say, how do I change the way that I talk about poverty? But I think a better question would be, how do I change the way I talk about poverty and wealth or richness? Mm -hmm. What does a rich and fulfilling life mean?
0: Yeah. And how do we get to talk about that well? Yeah. I hope we haven't left everybody feeling like it's all hopeless. I don't think it's hopeless at all. Um, And you hear lots of good stories about communities that have got together to do different things to respond to the adversity they're finding themselves in. Um, You know, humans are very creative. And it's about how social workers can play their part in encouraging that in people and helping them have the resources and space for that to flourish. Yeah.